is everything old becoming new again, or is it just the same old, same old? Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principal Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaels. Well, it's really good to be back in the studio, me and mine and you and yours. And that's why if you hear some funny uh, sounds, um, it's because we're in remote uh, locations doing this by Zoom. And can't be helped, ladies and gentlemen, where we're uh, dealing with the Internet. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. And sometimes it causes string outs and that kind of stuff. So bear with us, please. Uh, but this is the first time we've been in the studio in, what, at least two weeks, maybe three. Yeah, that's been my fault. I have, uh, I've been uh, a little, little under, under the weather, so to speak. So, But uh, we're, we're getting back and uh, we're going to try to get this back on a regular uh, track and keep going here because there's an awful lot that's going on. And, of course, obviously, Chuck, we're in September. We've just gotten past Labor Day. Um, schools back on, uh, people are in many cases are, you know, finishing up their summer plans and getting back to the pace of life that is normal in the fall and the winter, uh, except for the fact of, you know, everything costing at least two to three times more than what it used to cost (laughs) two years ago. But, you know, that aside, uh, (laughs) laughing, laughing, but not funny. But, you know, I know we can't talk about the, our economic woes, the cost of fuel, the cost of food, uh, rampant inflation, and uh, anything that might be coming with the passage of the multi-trillion dollar America Recovery Act. Um, So, you know, because as you know, those are issues we can't talk about during an election campaign uh, because everybody wants to focus on the real issues like, oh, I don't know, vilifying your opponent as being subhuman or being as completely uh, depraved as they can possibly be and a threat to the continuation of our, our Republic. Um, and if anybody out there doesn't know what I'm talking about, well, bravo for you because you probably aren't paying much attention to mainstream media. <laughs> um, you know, that's good. But it, what we have seen here, Chuck, and over the last couple of weeks, and I say this a couple of weeks, because this is, this is starting to spread out and, it's happening again and again. And this wasn't a one-time thing. This wasn't an, uh, you know, a really off day and, oh, yeah, I went off the teleprompter, so therefore I just spoke out of turn or spoke, you know, spoke off the cuff and, and I really didn't mean this. No, um, we've got a, a politician who's out there fanning the flames of deep discontent uh, among the voting populace. And it's for one reason alone, and that is the continuation of holding of control and power. What I'm talking about, Chuck, I know you know, but in case our listeners don't, is the uh, resident right now, Joe Biden. You know, I won't use the P in front of that word because he's not. Uh, But the resident, Joe Biden, uh, did a stunt speech over the last weekend, Labor Day weekend. I mean, think about the timing of this. To basically spend most of his time vilifying a large section of the voting public, i.e. those who didn't vote for him, uh, those who voted for Donald Trump, what he called the MAGA Republicans, and basically all but called them enemies of the state. 
uh, that they were a threat to the constitutional republic. They are dangerous to our democracy. And they are just, you know, they're the ones who are fomenting all the violence and, and uh, nastiness in politics. I, I want to go back, though, Chuck, and I know you've looked at this, too. Uh, most in the last least year, maybe even further, the vast majority of, uh, shall we say, politically motivated um, violence in this country has come from one party, and it's not MAGA Republicans. No, it's not. As a matter of fact, there's a little article, I think it's out on Fox News, maybe, um, or may have been Breitbart, uh, or one of those, uh, where a self-proclaimed leftist uh, TikTok YouTuber guy, young, you know, millennial, 20-something kid, went decided to go to, a, to some Trump rallies, and he was completely shocked by the reception he got. That reception was people talk to him. They engaged with him. They discussed his views and issues and their views and issues together. And they did so respectfully and, and tactfully. He said maybe there might have been one or two people who didn't want to talk to him when he you know, told him who he was and you know, where, he, you know, where he comes from on the political spectrum. But he said that it was like completely a shock that the vast majority of those people were cordial, uh, well thought, um, you know, compassionate about their positions but willing to engage in dialogue. And that shocked him as a liberal. I wonder why, Chuck. Well, because, A, the propaganda is that uh, all Republicans are, A, nasty, B, stupid, um, and C, just completely unreasonable. And the fact is, what you'll find is that when you get into, into discourse among conservatives with liberals, conservatives tend to be fairly polite. Liberals tend to be bombasts, uh, brick throwers, uh, you know, uh, Molotov, co Molotov cocktail types. Uh, I, don't too, I don't see too many, um, you know, uh, splinter groups rising up who are in the middle of the night firebombing and defacing property of uh, uh, like Planned Parenthood or pro boards. But I am seeing a lot of, including here in Ohio, a, a right to life group up in Akron had their offices firebombed and defaced by uh, liberal activists here recently, and they're having trouble because they're in a, a Democrat-run city of Akron. They're having a difficult time of getting the county prosecutor or local law enforcement to do anything about it. Well, think about this, Barry. Uh, I, just to be fair, there was a time when there was a very small number of uh uh, abortion clinic bombers. Um, yeah, that was a thing at one time. That's back, for sure. Back in the eighties. And there weren't that many of them. How many, maybe three. I really don't know. I mean, there probably were more people who were arrested on suspicion than there were that actually did anything. Yeah. There's one guy as, Eric, as, as usual with most things. One guy, Eric Rudolph, who, who, uh, managed to, uh, blow at least one up, maybe more. And then he went off and ran and hid in the hills and, and people helped him and all that kind of thing. But other people, I, I think he got turned in by, believe it or not, pro-lifers who were like, no, this is not the way we're going to win this battle. And uh, we're going to do it through legal means. Uh, you, you, you can't uh, 
win hearts and minds really by uh with terror you can you can win acquiescence but you can't win uh the 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 mental battle no that's true and what the left has decided to do is double down or triple down or quadruple down on what guys like that were doing i mean look let's face it in seattle uh there was a multiple day battle with protesters up there to keep them from burning federal buildings in Seattle. Yep. And in Portland and some other places. Yeah. And when that happened, I mean, uh, no, it's very interesting when this whole J six thing came up, Uh, what did we have? Well, it was an insurrection quote unquote, meaning that whoever uses that word and continues to use it doesn't know what an insurrection is. An insurrection is an armed uprising uh, uh, with the intent of taking over a capital city and therefore controlling the seat of government, uh, thereby changing the government. That was never the intent. No one was armed uh, except the police who shot people in the back and uh, pistol whipped them, uh, pistol whipped one person to death and shot another person, an unarmed person in the back. Uh, claiming the cop claiming that uh, he feared for his life. I'm, you know, I'm not sure what he was scared of, but nonetheless, uh, you compare what went on in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, in uh, Milwaukee, in uh, Minneapolis, in Seattle, in Portland, uh, in Chicago, in some cases, uh, other cities, oh, uh, Missouri, um, you know, uh, St. Louis area. Uh, yep. You look at what happened there versus what happened uh, in D.C. You had a bunch of nut jobs who basically were invited into the Capitol. There's no doubt about it. The the uh, those films should be exculpatory, where they're opening the gates and and waving these protesters into the building. And then you had guys like that, that clown in the, in the Buffalo hat, uh, and the people who attempted to take the speaker's podium and actually someone who somehow got away with the speaker of the house's computer. I'm still not sure how that happened. Um, how, how they got out of the building with all the, with, with all this stuff, um, how they, I still don't understand how they uh, kept from being arrested that day, uh, but they didn't. And uh, you you compare, uh, and you'll see it's an apples to oranges comparison. The left was ready to burn cities down. The right was ready to create a little havoc on the floor of the house. You're right. Um, and did create a little havoc on the, I, I'm not going to uh, uh, whitewash it. Fact is, that was a good old-fashioned riot, but right. it, it was not an insurrection. Right. Now. But, you know, but but as that goes, though, I mean, if you look, the amount of violence that was perpetrated during that was the uh, sum total of a, it looked like either Capitol Security or Capitol Police or the Washington, D.C. Police, uh Exhibiting violence, mean, one woman was shot and killed by by a Capitol police officer, who still cannot explain in any way, shape, or form 
um, his rationale for shooting an unarmed woman who was leaving the building. But, you know, we'll let that stand for the moment. Um, and then we have another one where we're finding out that another woman who was severely beaten outside after she had been laid on the ground and was, you know, in a prone position was still being beaten by a Capitol police officer who's now been identified as one who's had a string of complaints against him for excessive force. Um, And again, you know, this is a situation where our president twice now, last Thursday, he gave a speech um, out in, um, I forget where the speech was at on Thursday. Oh gosh. I think it was from the white house. And then on then on Labor Day on Monday, he was in Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania and doubled down on his comments. Now, his comments, I, I'll give you a couple of the quotes, Chuck. Well, I'm not kidding you here. This is what he said, quote, there is no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country, he said. OK, so basically Donald Trump being the unanointed leader of the Republican Party is a threat to the country, according to Joe Biden. Uh, now, he does. Then, but then the next day, he tried to walk back. He's like, well, I don't consider any Trump supporter a threat to the country. Well, what do you mean by MAGA Republicans and saying that it is a threat to the country? You can't have it both ways, Joe. Well, he doesn't want it both ways. He wants it the way he, he laid it out the first place because he came back on Monday and said, quote, it's clear which way the new MAGA Republicans are. They're extreme, and democracy is really at stake. So not only is the country at stake, but our our ideological base of democracy, Chuck, and that anybody who questions Joe Biden somehow is posing a threat to that democracy. Where have we heard such bombastic and over-the-top rhetoric before? Well, from from his boss... And partly his boss in the uh, uh, Obama administration. You got it, uh, Barack Obama. We also heard another. Now, it's very interesting. His, uh, you know, his um, spokesperson, um, Karine Jean-Pierre, who's the White House press secretary, used an interesting phrasing when she was being questioned by Peter Ducey and other um, media folks during the White House press briefing. And she was trying to spin that. Oh, he was just talking about the congressional Republican leadership. He wasn't talking about everybody. Well, that's not what he said. It wasn't even close to what he said. But then she said, basically, she goes, uh, you know, so you have leaders in the Republican Party who are offering extreme, extreme agenda. And so that's what he means. That's not what he said. He he said something totally different, but they're going to try to spin it. But then it's okay. She gets in here and says that, quote, let me be very clear, it's not just Republican leadership, it's not just that blanket, right? Well, okay, she was just trying to say it was just Republican leadership he was talking about. Now she's turned around saying, well, no, it's not just that, it's a, it's a bigger, it's bigger than that. He's talking about, and I quote, he's talking about an extreme portion, an extreme part of the party, unquote. Well, that would be anybody who doesn't agree with Joe Biden's agenda, which would include folks like, oh, Jim Jordan, um, maybe Rand Paul, um, Thomas Massey, others in Washington, D.C. who don't agree with it. Now, I'm sure that that does not include guys like Mitch McConnell, who, sent, who have already rolled over on the American Recovery Act and have you know, handed off 
uh, your your grandchildren's uh, indebtedness to the <laughs> to the tune of hundreds, if not millions, of dollars per person going into the future uh, in order to say that they voted for something so they can go run on it. Um, but she talks about that. She insisted. She doubled down. She got questioned because Peter Ducey especially was pounding her on this. And yes. she came oh, back. Boy, did he! The boy did he. Uh, Boy, did he ever. And, 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 but then she said something, I, and as soon as it was said, my ears perked up. And she, she insisted that sup- Trump supporters were in a bucket of people who posed a threat to democracy. Gee, that phrasing sounds awfully familiar. Bucket of people. Bucket. What's another name for a bucket? Oh, a basket. Yeah. Wait a minute. You mean it's Hillary Clinton's basket That's of deplorables? Basket of deplorables. That's the first thing I thought of, too. That's exactly where they were going <laughs> to with this. The thing is that the left has had these same talking points now for going on, uh, what, 16 years, Chuck? Um, I mean, because Barack Obama was saying this during the 2012 election and then 2016, and, you know, that's when Hillary popped out with basket of deplorables. And now Joe Biden here in 2022 is bringing the same thing forward. Now, the thing is, what they're trying to do, folks, is not to make these Republicans all be repentant and feel bad about themselves that, oh, somehow we're hurting democracy, so we should probably, you know, run away from Trump and stay away from conservative values. That's not what this is all about. This is all about inciting an already unstable base in the Democrat Party that is a coalition, what I call a coalition of the damned, um, because it's the gay rights, it's the homosexuals, uh, it's the Trans- uh, transgender baby, activists, it's yeah, transgender activists, it's the baby murderers, it's the gun grabbers, it's all those people who want to basically become the most authoritarian force on the face of the planet. That's who he's trying to incite, and he's pointing them at who they should attack. Oh, they're the threats to our democracy. Right. Now, he uses the term our democracy. He wasn't talking in the broadest sense about all America. He's talking about the Democrat Party and their uh, fellow travelers and uh, enablers and what they can get away with if they can just control the reins of power and shut everybody else up. Well, think about it. Compare uh, the basket full of deplo- or you know, you know, uh, the, you know, the, well, basket, basket of deplorables. deplorables and bucket full of uh, what was the phrase? Buckets full of uh, bucket, bucket of people who pose a threat to democracy. Bucket of people and com- and compare it to Mitt Romney's binders full of women. Now, yeah, well, tell me which one is worse, but which one costs someone in part, not fully, the the an election? Uh, yeah, yeah, cost him an election was used for weeks. And weeks and weeks, and all he meant was he he'd been handed uh, binders with the resumes of all these women that he was considering as running for the cabinet. Yeah, for the cabinet and for running mate. And for running mate, yeah, that's right. Now those and, are the, those are the ones he was talking about. Uh, versus, of course, yeah, versus what they're talking about, which is essentially uh, uh, denigrating a particular class of political thought. That somehow yep. uh, they, what they are doing is attempting to censor political thought by uh, making that particular political thought um, something that should uh, 
be taken as a matter of shame. And these people should be shamed out of existence and out of, out of regular life and deplatformed and uh, having losing their jobs. This is exactly what they're talking about. Now, you know, I understand that during the Obama administration, there were a number of people who were probably fairly over the top in their rhetoric as well about Barack Obama. Um, oh, sure. Who probably, who probably talked about him as being, you know, the great evil of the country or, you know, destroyer of our democracy, et cetera. And that was just as over the top and bombastic as, as what, you know, Joe Biden is saying now about Trump and and. Republicans who support him. Um, but, you know, we've got to be careful here because we're seeing something, Chuck, and it's and it's it's a trend that's been growing. And you and I have talked about it in part in the past. And that is we really are going down a road where we're trying to we're trying to create um, black and whites out of pure gray. Uh, and I say that because a lot of these things are not based in any kind of absolute or real truth. They're just based in people's emotions, feelings, and preferences. And then that's being turned into policy decisions, trying to make the black and white out of these emotions and feelings. And that never is a good recipe for public policy or for supporting or getting behind a candidate. Never get behind a candidate just because you feel good about it because you're going to be disappointed, strenuously disappointed, uh, sooner rather than later. You need to get behind a candidate if you're going to uh, as a supporter because you believe in the things that they're saying that they will try to do when they achieve office, the policies that they want to promote, and where they come from and what their belief system really is. Now, oftentimes it gets spun and as everybody is right now, you know, we laugh about this, Chuck. Our mailboxes are filling up. I've gotten so many flyers and, you know, absentee ballot requests. I mean, Mike DeWine just sent out a big one. Here, request absentee ballots. It's like, you know what, guys? Didn't you just realize that the Secretary of State of Ohio just mailed out over 8 million absentee ballot request forms? to every registered voter in the state of Ohio. I was going to say, we, we got three of them here. We have three registered right. voters in the house. Yes, we registered, but we had five, you know, we've got five. So we got five envelopes. And then, you know, in three days, here comes the DeWine camp and they're sending out their multifold um, little, you know, slick 11 by eight, um, almost a full page, you know, kind of um, slick yeah. mailer. Yep. And it got the, oh, here, fill this out and send it back in so you can register your absentee ballot. And it's like, guys, I mean, really, isn't that a waste of time and money uh, to do that? Um, people are going to, people who are going to vote are going to vote. People who are not going to vote probably would be better off if they didn't think about voting. Um, you know, I've said every time we say that, you know, turnout was so horrible or, you know, turnout was this way in election, I'm like, well, praise God for it because if turnout had been much higher, it might have been, you know, worse than it was. Um, you know, look at this just last primary we just had in August, this weird, you know, off-season primary we just had where the turnout rate was infinitesimally small. Well, that was actually good because many conservatives won elections and won primaries against rhino Republicans. And if there had been like a massive push to get a lot of people out the door, 
who knows? You know, those incumbents would have probably still been sitting there come January, uh, basically, you know, telling people, oh, you know, I'm a good conservative, and then going inside and voting, oh, I don't want to vote, get in behind the doors of the caucus. Oh, I don't want to vote for that. We can't bring that pro-life. We can't bring that pro-family legislation up. That stuff's divisive. Oh, my district's too tight. I can't vote for that. And whine and complain, oh, I'll give the caucus more money, but please don't make me vote for this. And then, well, was know, it? Wasn't it the sitting uh, um, lieutenant governor of Ohio who took you guys in a room when he was uh, Speaker of the House and said no more yeah, yeah. hanging John, fruit? John used to be, and, and this is this is one that happened. I mean, basically, all the pro-life and pro-family leaders in Ohio at the time when he was the Speaker of the House, we were pushing uh, on a number of agenda items, including some stuff regarding gay marriage and adoption and things of that nature. And so all of us got a, a kind of an invite, if you will, the, that the speaker wants to meet with you. So we all get there, and there's probably, oh gosh, there's probably 14 people around this table, Chuck. And we're all sitting there waiting, and it's we've been there like five, ten minutes just kind of talking a bunch of, kind of looking around like, what's this all about? And then in pops this, the then Speaker of the House, now Lieutenant Governor John Houston, sets down at the end of the table, at the head of the table, and says hello to everybody. Base. The reason why I'm here today is to tell you all the low-hanging fruit has been picked. We've done everything we're going to do on pro-life and pro-family issues for the for this cycle, and you guys can just sit back and be quiet. Roughly translated. Um, that was that was his viewpoint on the whole thing at that point in time. Now I don't know if his viewpoint has changed at all. I'm sure that he'll you know become like the most strident conservative you've ever seen on paper when he goes to run for governor. But be that as it may, at that point in time, he was coming in basically telling us, oh, you don't get to defend families and defend life and protect marriage and, and protect children because, well, we can't see a way we can make political hay of it. And so therefore, we've given you all the stuff that we think you will keep you on the reservation and keep you voting for us, but don't ask us to do any more. Yeah. It's a way to kowtow to the uh, uh, the, the quote unquote centrists in the Republican Party, uh, and uh, assuming that uh, once again that conservatives will stay on the reservation because it, it's uh, well, it's the assumption that conservatives were a minority in terms of how many people people came out and voted. That might be true, but the fact is that a lot of conservatives didn't come out and vote because the candidates were so clearly rhinos. Um, and so uh, these guys would rather, and this kind of brings up a point that you and I were talking about earlier. If you recall today, we talked about the Alaska election with Sarah, where Sarah Palin lost, lost the election. And, and we talked and we had remember that that was just the election to fill the unexpired term of Don Young, who had passed away. And that was only to go through the end of this year. There's she's still running for the full seat for the next for the next cycle. Uh, the Democrat won the the special election to fill the seat from September to December, but there is still a full race for a full seat coming up. Now the problem is that race also is based upon the same type of rank choice voting right. that is, that is problematic. Well, um, I, I, and, had, and, I, and, I had I had made the uh, the comment. Yes. That, uh, a, a rhino Republican had come in and said, see what happens when you run these extremist candidates. They always lose and throw the election to the Democrat. 
Uh, all you have to do is do the math. And I go, I did the math. I understand how ranked choice voting works when you've got rhino Republicans in the mix. And the fact is that you know that Democrats will vote first for the Democrat, second for the rhino, and third for the uh, for for the the MAGA Republican. Right. The rhinos will uh, the uh, conservatives. Or, or the, the, like also remember, you rank choices. You don't have to actually pick more than two. I, even though I think that's three. right. So even though there's three running, they could have gone one for the Dem, two for the Rhino Republican, and then left it alone. Yes. And I don't know what the rules are in Alaska, whether or not if you don't pick the third, if it just automatically gives the point to the third person. Yeah. Well, or if or if it makes it null and void. The MAGA person will vote for their first choice Republican, their first choice MAGA Republican, then the Rhino. And but. Here's what here's where the tail of the tape is. Rhinos will vote for the Rhino Republican first and the Democrat second. Exactly. That's how Democrats end up winning uh, these ranked choice voting seats, even in conservative districts, because right. there, there are enough rhinos to come in and throw the election to the Democrat. And they would rather do that than deal with with the party being taken over by uh, conservatives. That's, that is, that is, that's, you've got the math down right. And that's why if you hear that uh, uh, ranked choice voting, what a great idea. No, it's an awful idea. Well, first of all, and, and, you know, and you and I fired this back and forth on texts over the last couple of days. The more I sit here and think about it, the more I start to wonder. Now, again, it's, it's done state by state. So therefore, if a state's constitution is changed to, you know, allow it or to prefer it, then you're kind of stuck. But it really strikes me that it could be considered unconstitutional because it is eliminating the whole idea of one man, one vote. Right. Now you have one man, th three to four, depending on, you know, what you're on how many candidates are in the field. Yeah. And candidates are in the field and what the elimination strategy is of the ranked choice voting. If it's only the first three places, the first four, first five. Um, but, you know, it's basically watering down everybody's vote in, under the idea of making sure everybody gets a fair vote. And I don't think it's very fair to water down a vote, you know, and basically say, oh, well, if you're not in a preferred class, i.e. the rhinos or, or, the, or the hardcore leftists, then your vote is going to count less and less and less. Um, you know, that, that's just insanity. Um, I'm wondering at some point if with some of these, and of course, most of the liberal states, the ones who are implementing ranked choice voting, I don't know of any conservative states that have it just yet. But the whole point is, Chuck, is that somebody at some time soon, hopefully, will file a class action lawsuit against ranked choice voting as being unconstitutionally denying citizens of their of the power of their vote. Oh, absolutely. And that's exactly the case, but leave it up to rhinos who weasel their way into, uh, well, look, think about the mess that was created, frankly, by a rhino uh, in the lead uh, with this, uh, uh, this mess where we ended up with two primaries. Why? Because they turned 
uh, redistricting over to a commission and gave minority commissioners a veto on the process rather than guaranteeing them uh, a, a voice in the process. They gave them a veto, which then threw it to a Supreme court that everyone knew was uh, rigged to be a tie with the Republican chief justice voting with the Democrats. Right. And, uh, um, that was, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, the Huffman, Matt Huffman. Yes. Who did that? I, I'm, I, it's, this is the kind of thinking that's leading us in that direction. Now, if, these guys continue. You will see ranked choice voting as a as a legitimate uh, possibility. Well, don't think if Mark Meckler and company get their way and they can get enough states to be you know, mentally incompetent and uh, file for a convention, an Article Five convention, a con federal constitutional convention. Don't think that we won't get uh, numerous uh, variations on getting rid of one man, one vote. Well, look, Mark Meckler's, yeah, Mark Meckler's out there saying them some of the most ridiculous things I've heard him say, uh, and that's that's a uh, a bold statement. Um, he has said that he in the camp upcoming campaign he doesn't want to hear anything about Mar-a-Lago. He, he wants people to talk about issues. I don't want to hear about this uh, emotional appeal. And the first thing that came to my mind was, Mark, do you not grasp that Mar-a-Lago is a uh, case in point of the what we're talking about when we talk about constitutional crisis issues. The fact yeah. is that guys like Mark Meckler who want that to go away, Mark Meckler would love to uh, fiddle with the mechanism of elections in this country. Mark, Mark Meckler would love to fiddle with all the mechanisms in the country. Now he says, all I want to do is get a balanced budget amendment passed, and and then you read the balanced budget amendment. It's a joke. I mean, it's absolute joke. It's it's so full of holes. You you could drive well, I mean, a, it, a it, back it, truck well, through it. It's got language in there that you have to have a balanced budget unless there's an emergency. Chuck, we've been under federal uh, federally called emergencies now since the War of eighteen twelve. Well, really, a, an official state of emergency has existed since before Pearl Harbor. Yes. And when I say official, I mean declared. We're in a state of emergency and have been. Uh, it was renewed uh, at 9-11. Uh, there are other times when it, it, it gets renewed, but the fact is we've been under one, which means that the uh, balanced budget uh, restrictions can be sidestepped at any time. It can be sidestepped with a vote of Congress, you know, a, a uh a roll call vote of Congress. You think these guys are afraid of a roll call vote in con to sidestep a, uh, a spending limits when it means? Well, okay, yeah, okay. Now, Chuck, they'd only be afraid of it if they hadn't been prepped with talking points, making you seem like an idiot for supporting it in the first place. Exactly. Ahead of time. Exactly. Exactly. That um, any basically anything that comes up uh, like that. They would have a complete set of talking points. The propaganda machine would crank up. You'd get CNN, NBC, CBS, uh, NPR, blah, 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 New York Times, Washington Compost, 
all coming out and saying, we need this. We need to bypass this spending restriction. And here's why. And they'd give you all these reasons that don't matter a whit. Nonetheless, they will, they are designed to appeal to a certain type of person. And they will. Yep. People say, well, this is reasonable. This is a reasonable overstepping of the spending limits. Now, Mark Meckler has been pushing for this and other things. Um, if you read uh, uh, Mark Levin's book, The Liberty Amendments, some of them are just plain awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically is uh, they want to federalize elections. Hey, we're we're getting to a place where elections are federalized. How's that working out? It's a plu perfect mess. Uh, when when uh, uh, you know the whole thing where, uh, well, that state had some irregularities. Therefore, we're the federal government. And we're taking over. Right, and we're going to force ranked choice voting. Yeah. No. Which, uh, yeah, or or worse. So. Yeah, or or worse method. Uh, we're already, you know, we've got we've got judges who are basically saying, uh, creating situations where anyone who comes in to vote gets to vote. Don't Come have on. don't have to prove citizenship. Uh, no signature verification requirements. No citizenship verification requirements. None of that. And then you've got cities who are acquiescing to that. New York. City, uh, I think they just got busted in a federal court. I'm not sure. I think I read a story about that where they had, uh, they were allowed. Oh, no, they're being sued. They're being sued in federal court because of their, uh, uh, policy of allowing non citizens to vote in New York City elections. Yeah. Isn't that something? I mean, if we federalize elections, do we then open the borders and say, oh, you can, if you live in, if you're in Canada or in Mexico or in Central America, you can still vote in the American elections well, and not have an excuse like you are a, an American citizen or an American citizen in the, in the service of the military. Well, there was a campaign on at one time to allow, uh, Europeans, not, not Americans expatriated because they can already vote. Uh, Americans who maintain their citizenship and just live in another country, they can vote. Uh, no, I'm talking about Europeans to vote in American elections, especially for president. Why? Because the president of the United States is the leader of the free world, and they should have a say on, uh, you know, and it affects uh, them. So they want to say in what happens in American politics. Can you imagine allowing socialist Germans, socialist French, socialist British, Socialist Spanish, socialist Italians, socialist Greeks. Uh, name the country. The only place I'd be happy with voting in American elections would maybe right now be Hungary. Yep. Which has a, which has a free market and a Christian, uh, essentially a Christian worldview in their government. Everybody else, they're way beyond the pale. Um. You know that they really uh, they really consider us, uh, uh, basically those of us in the conservative camp, to be some kind of dangerous radicals who really should be as, as uh, a representative in California. I think Gonzalez has said we should be rounded up and sent to re-education camps. That, that sounds vaguely familiar too. Where have I heard that before? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, well, and I'm, and I'm not going to be the first one who's going to who's going to trip Hobson's law. So yeah. Oh uh, yeah. The, I know Godwin's Godwin's law. Godwin's law. Yeah. I got, it's a Hobson's choice and Godwin's law. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you had it right because it is a Hobson's choice. Godwin's law, the first one that brings up Hitler in an argument loses. Uh, yep. But primarily, really, uh, Hitler copied it from uh, Lenin and Stalin because this is what how they operated. If you didn't get the bullet in the brain, you got sent essentially out to uh, work camps so you could uh, rethink your position. And if somebody wants to learn from history, I would suggest very strongly for those who have never done so before or, you know, are afraid to do so because they think it's too too much for them to read Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, book, The Gulag Archipelago. Oh, absolutely. Because that is his tale of where he got sent to the work camps for not thinking and speaking the way the government chose him to do. Sounds very, I mean, we're seeing this. I mean, everybody, I think, probably in our listening audience knows or has heard of, we've talked about him before, a, a uh, intellectual by the name of Jordan Peterson. Well, Peterson, you know, has been vilified and lost position. You know, I think he's lost his tenure and anything else. I mean, he's got a great speaking, you know, he's got an incredible speaking gig now around the world. But, you know, he lost his position. He lost everything because the government passed a bill in Canada that required you to use somebody's preferred pronouns. And he said, you cannot compel me to speak. I will not do it because you cannot compel me to speak that way. It's against human rights. And, you know, he was vilified and every leftist media outlet on the planet tried to figure out a way to bring him down and catch him, catch him in his contradictions only to find out that they're the only ones who were sitting there with massive amounts of contradiction and he's showing them that, no, I'm holding to a consistent principle, and it's a principle that ha has its basis in common law and in, uh, you know, basically the declarations of human rights. I, but, I, ha I have like, watched that's him. Enough, that's not good enough for leftists if, they, if right. it doesn't, meet, doesn't get their agenda uh, advanced. Well, they've stopped inviting him onto some of these ambush programs because he, he basically destroys the people involved, you know, it, it's typical. We see it in American, uh, uh, TV all the time. Uh, in the old days, uh, like meet the press, uh, oh gosh, all the ones that used to be on the Sunday morning shows, meet the press. Um, uh, I can't remember some of the other ones, but what they would do is they would bring in a pan, they'd bring in a conservative and then bring in a panel of four, Ultra. So the it was essentially uh, a lynch mob. They'd bring well, in. Dude, I've been I've I've been subject to that before. Oh, I know you have. <laughs> oh, I have. I mean, I, there 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 used to be a one of those the Sunday morning political shows. Uh, oh yeah. There in the Columbus market, uh -huh. and invariably, anytime there was a big issue going on, I'd get invited. Come on, and they'd put there were five chairs. You're right, five chairs. It was the host and one of the one of the contenders. And then me and then two other, uh, you know, journalists, et cetera, talking heads, whatever. Uh, and invariably, it was all outsides gang to the middle, you know, beat up on the person sitting in the middle chair. And it was always me. I was always the one in the middle. I enjoyed it to no end. Oh, yeah. It was it's so much fun to watch these guys follow themselves. <laughs> yes, because they they think they've got you over a barrel. 
Right. You, and in fact, they're tag teaming you. They're going to get you going back and forth and saying stuff you don't want to say. And all you have to do to control that is just remember, never answer a question. Always answer a question with another question. Exactly. You know, oh, if that's true, why this? Um, yeah, that's that's true. Well, Jordan Peterson kind of does that. Yes, he uh, does. And when you watch him in these interviews, they come on. It's very aggressive. And the reason the reporters, the, the far left reporters are aggressive is they know that if they come off, like they know what they're talking about and you have any doubt at all, you'll fold, or at least they think you'll fold. They think you'll fold. That's right. And when you come back at them with facts and ask them a question based on that fact, they fold. Oh yes. Because you, you totally destroyed their entire uh, setup that they were going for by basically getting down to the real question and then asking and answering it. Yeah. And, and you can see it happening because they get angry. They get flustered. Uh, the w- one who, who did this all was Chuck Todd, Chuck Todd, when he would try one of these ambush things and he got somebody who knew what they were talking about and they knew he didn't know he would walk away red faced and later he would come out and do character assassination on him. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Because then when they, you know, you ushered them off the stage and then you get a, you get the final word. You get to say anything you want to do. Exactly. Well, and, and that's always the case. Um, that's always the case. Uh, in fact, somebody, uh, years and years and years ago, I think in the late seventies, there was a case where, uh, uh, 60 minutes did an ambush show an ambush interview in the office of someone, a utility company. And I think it may have been with a president or a vice president of this utility company. And they came in loaded for bear. And of course they had the camera and then, but when they got there, the guy says, Oh, by the way, we'll be recording too. And we'll be using two cameras to get both my reaction and your reaction. Oh, they don't like that. Well, I can remember watching the film that came out of that. And they would show CBS uh, on the CBS side of the interview. They would ask the question. And then they'd show the guy going, or answering something entirely different. Well, they played the raw footage, the the uh, uh, utility company played the raw footage and said, okay, here's how they edited it. Here's what was really done. Well, CBS news came out and tried to do a, uh, you know, tried to do a hatchet job on them. They're like, no, watch the film. They made it freely available. Watch the film. Well, CBS basically, as as I recall, they they can't didn't apologize, but they were sort of like, well, yeah, well, that didn't go right. Yeah, well, it never goes right. My gosh, when you have the editing that when you own all the film and the editing, since they would tell people you're not allowed to film it, and, and I know people who who went in and oh no, we're filming it, we're filming it too. You can film it, but we're filming it too. And then, uh, interestingly, they got a little more honest about how those things went. But it took people, people are trusting. And I've told people for for years and when the whole Ukraine thing 
started the war. Now it's been six months ago, so it was what last February. In fact, yep. I think it was on my birthday. <laughs> Russia invaded Ukraine on my birthday, um, which would be 20, February twenty fourth. Um, I told people at church, and some people were unhappy with um, with me about this. And I said, "Well, I don't care." Uh, I, I I told the church. Somebody asked me to pray for it. I was, I was in charge on a Sunday night service. And I said, okay, I will pray for this. But I'm going to tell you folks right now, what I'm going to pray for is peace. Because this situation, this this whole thing is so muddled and muddy and so uh, intertwined with a uh, fact with fiction. I, I said, I'm going to implore you not to believe anything anyone says because exactly. it doesn't matter which side it is they're going to be lying right exactly the pro-russia people are going to be lying and the pro-ukraine pe people are going to be lying i said somebody asked me which side i was on this thing i'm on neither side folks this is like watching hitler versus stalin what do you do you sit back and hope that they both withdraw. And they withdraw so weakened from their uh, encounter that they can't bug anybody else anymore. I said, be, be, so far, I have not heard one really honest. I've heard a couple of guys that come came through and explained what was happening, uh, and was the most it was the most obvious explanation to me. And they said, if, you, if you'll note, Russia is only concentrating on certain areas of the country. Well, what areas are those? Those are areas that have Russian, uh, ethnic Russian and Russian-speaking majorities who don't want to be part of Ukraine. They want to either be independent or join up with Russia. And there was some treaty work going on that was supposed to make that happen and the United States talked to Britain and France and Germany about pulling out of this agreement that they'd come to and signed. Well, now what's happening? Now the Russians are saying, oh, you guys want to play hardball. You, you don't want to withdraw from your treaty obligations. Fine. You can't have any gas. The Germans and the, and the French and the British are trying this thing of saying, we'll, we, want to buy, we want to buy your gas and oil and natural gas but we'll only pay this much for it. And Russia says, well, that means you're not getting it because that's the price. Because you guys pulled out of this treaty, you cost us a lot of money. We need revenue. You're going to pay the price. This is what happens. People, uh, I've been seeing people on, on YouTube telling me how much better it is in Germany than in the United States. I'm an emigre from the United States to Germany. Why? Free health care, free, you know, gun control laws, blah, 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 go through the whole list. And I'm like, okay, in January when there's no electricity because you guys have shut down your natural uh, or your coal-fired power plants and there's no natural gas, to run your other power plants and there's no <clears throat> heating oil and there's no gasoline. What exactly are you going to do? That is a good question. Well, the answer is they're going to come to the United States and say, you need to help us. 
Now, right. what, what, remember what Joe Biden did when he released the strategic oil reserve. Where did it, most of it go? It went to China. It went to China, but it also went to Europe. And to Europe, yes. Well, true. Now, we got some of it here, and it did. It it seems to have possibly lowered, well, lowered prices a little bit, although... Well, now, there, now, there was another thing that happened, though, Chuck. There was a refinery, which is a distribution port as well down uh, along the texas gulf that had a fire yes and they had shut down for three months while they were repairing things they couldn't export all of that oil so it had to come back into the u.s market that's part of what dropped the prices yeah and there's also a problem here one one of the things that biden did uh, he allowed his epa to uh uh kill off um drilling to cancel drilling leases of the Department of the Interior, and he and he uh, allowed the EPA to stop new refinery or even relicensing old refineries. So the number of refineries is dropping rapidly, and new refineries aren't allowed to come online, and the, uh, they're stopping the flow of crude from our own wells, so that we'll be dependent upon Venezuela and Mexico and. Um, the Middle East and actually Russia, although Ru a lot of Russian oil goes to uh, uh, Europe, well, at least for the time being. <laughs> yes. uh, but these people yelling and screaming about how much it better it is in Europe. Nope. You guys scheming has is costing you, you know, first of all, being led by the nose by the United States who, who uh, currently is being led by people who really do want this great reset. If you, you've heard the term, what does it mean? It means a complete economic collapse wherein you in your desperation to eat and be able to work will beg the government to do something. Right, because that's usually the first response of, of a lot of people is, well, the government ought to do something about it. It's like, no, you need to do something about your situation, not wait for the government to bail you out. Yeah, exactly. That, but we're we're being restricted in our ability to do that. Um, you know, uh, yes. Do I think it's a good idea to uh, get as much solar generation as possible? Yeah. Do I think it's it's uh, you know alternative means of energy? But look at California. California is uh, making gasoline cars illegal by twenty thirty six, but at the same time telling people that have run out to buy electric cars, you can't recharge that because we're in an energy crisis. Why are yeah, they? Yeah, that's what yeah, the whole California move. Why are they? Gonna in, end, yeah. Why are they in a crisis? Well, well you can't sell uh, internal combustion engines, but, oh, we've got a black, we're going to have to black out because we don't have enough power. Yeah. No coal fire, uh, coal fire power plants. They're tearing down hydroelectric dams. Is this not the stupidest thing you've ever heard in a state that's already energy deficient? They're, they're basically depending upon Western states like uh, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, other contributors to the grid, Idaho, Colorado, to supply them with, a, a, with low-priced electricity. Well, is that going to happen? Probably for a little while oh, until it, it becomes untenable. Well, until it, it's impossible for those states to uh, 
it's made impossible for those states to contribute to the grid. Yep, that's that's when it becomes untenable, yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's happening because those states also, th- this whole thing about, about shutting down coal power, uh, coal-fired plants, look, I had a friend who years ago, 15 or 20 years ago, told me the technology is out there to run zero emissions coal plants. All, all particulates, all CO2, all that stuff is completely captured. And then once it's captured, they sell it off as chemicals and, and, uh, you know, compressed gas and all kinds of stuff. So they make money on the, on this enough to pay for the technology. He goes, I worked on one of those plants. It's sitting there empty, not working. Why? The EPA won't license it. Of course. Why? They won't say. It's a zero emissions plant. So this is the insane world we live in, Barry. Now, God warned us that that we were going to be, at some point, dealing with it, it, when you put insane people in charge, I, I've been reading First Kings. I've been reading. Uh, uh, first of all, I read Samuel, and then and the subsequent books. And you can see it in the in the Kingdom of Israel uh, after the kingdom split. The absolute insanity that comes in when you bring in uh, these false gods who tell them to do things that are just uh, or in in their name they do things that are absolutely idiocy i mean in the like in the movie idiocracy if you've ever seen that uh the guy the guy goes in for a military experiment and they make him unconscious and forget about him stick him back in a in a locker and uh, you know a cold storage locker and forget about it and years later he's awakened he's reawakened and he was a real idiot you know he was one of these guys that couldn't do anything right he was a, you know, he made Gomer Pyle look at, like an absolute genius, right? Yeah. He wake, they wake him up, and then the guy finds out he's now the smartest man on the planet. Is he any smarter than when he went in the storage locker? No. Everybody else has become a complete fool. It, it's actually a very funny movie, but it's also kind of poignant to the point. Uh, God allows it will allow us as long as we continue to disparage him and and say he really doesn't have any effect on us and we really don't want to have anything to do with him. It you know uh, God is is irrelevant. Well, guess what? As long as we continue that attitude, this is what we get. That's true. This is what we get. Now, guess what? We're we're out of time. We're out of time. This is what we've got. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is what we got. We yeah. are out of time. It's good to be back with you, Barry. I'm really glad that uh, we've had this time, and w- w- at some point we'll reveal what's going on. Um, yeah, I just just uh, ask folks if they could just generally pray for for things. That would be great. Yeah, well, please pray for Barry. Pray for Barry's health. It's, yeah, it's, we'll we'll I'll I'll know much more about what I'm what I'm dealing with after. Well, you know, we're recording this on a Wednesday night, and I have um, meet, uh, appointments tomorrow that will pretty much determine where I'm heading. So, uh, of course, it's just like anything else, Chuck. When we record, 
it always the information comes out the next day. Yep, <laughs> of course. Uh, so, we're with it. I'd appreciate your prayers. You know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And please join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.